Hello and welcome to this episode of the Future of Work podcast, coming to you from the International Labour Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. I'm Anders Johnson, and I'm proud to join you on the occasion of International Women's Day, whose theme this year is Digital, Innovation and Technology for Gender Equality. As I'm sure you know, women have faced gender-based discrimination in the workforce throughout history. And as workplaces transition towards a digital future, we're already seeing this gender gap perpetuating itself in the digital realm as well. So how can digital technology be a force for good, for positive change and more inclusion? To answer this question, I'm extremely pleased to introduce Dr. Orly Lobel, who's the Warren Distinguished Professor of Law and Director of the Center for Employment and Labor Policy at the University of San Diego, and author of an extraordinary book, The Equality Machine, Harnessing Digital Technology for a Brighter, More Inclusive Future. Uh, Dr. Orly, welcome to the World of Work show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on it. Well, it's great to have you. I've, I've been having a real blast reading your book, and not least because it gave me a much more hopeful outlook on digital technology. So just to jump right in there, there's a lot of negative discussion about the way in which digital technology is contributing to many of the problems in the world. So what brought you to write this book from, a, I would say, a much more hopeful perspective? Yeah, that's exactly part of the motivation to write the book was that we are bombarded with a lot of alarmist discussions about what's happening with digital technology, with artificial intelligence, and how we're automating inequality, we're uh, adopting algorithms that are biased. Uh, so, so there's a lot out there. Um, and some of that is correct. Uh, you know, we should be cautious and careful and discerning and the ways that we are uh, automating and going online and engaging with digital platforms. But really, when I wrote The Equality Machine, I, I, I set out to, I guess, decipher between the things that are really reason to be concerned and things that have been misconstrued in the public debates. I, this is also my nature. I wanted to really find a through way kind of between utopian and dystopian, between alarmist and just kind of accepting as like technology is out of our control and we're just, you know, going along on the ride. I wanted to really find the positive examples and to have all of us and particularly women and people who have historically been excluded from the conversation to become much more empowered, to be part of the conversation and to think constructively and design our future in, in a way that's really informed. Your book is, um, one thing I, I rather enjoyed was that all the chapters give very concrete examples of the ways in which technology is already being harnessed uh, to create much more inclusion. And one of those that really drew my attention was looking at how it can help shrink the gender wage gap in terms of negotiations. Uh, could you unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, absolutely. So the gender pay gap and also the racial pay gap has been part of my research for some years now, kind of understanding um, both the sources of why we have this really stagnant wage gaps, inequality in the way that we're paid and our earnings, but also thinking about technology in ways that are really positive. So for example, women 
around the world, you know, earning less than than men. Some of it, not all of it, is driven or is sourced by the fact that peop- uh, women don't know that they're underpaid. They uh, find out way too late that they are underpaid. They don't know their worth. They don't know where they can and how they can negotiate better salaries. And I looked at all sorts of new examples where digital platforms think LinkedIn 3.0, you know, like apps that are called Know Your Worth, are crowdsourcing knowledge about, you know, what what people are making in a comparable work that are really empowering women to go back to their employer and say, look, this is what I should be paid. This is what my coworker is paid. So it's really kind of this potential of digital technology to educate and democratize knowledge that is really crucial in the market. That's kind of one aspect of it. Um, The other aspect is that, you know, we've seen this uh, during COVID and have seen this actually for for some years that technology, again, it it can be a double-edged sword. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's there's problems with the way that we're implementing it. But certainly for um, thinking about work life balance, the fact that we can work remotely, we can work more flexibly, the fact that there is a potential to put more emphasis on performance um, and actual like outputs of whatever you are doing rather than kind of counting, you know, the physical FaceTime you are putting in at an office without really kind of thinking whether that's that makes sense that somebody's staying for long hours and whether that's really useful. Technology has this real force for good of helping us understand what we should really care about. We should think about knowing more as a source of empowerment and uh, a force for equality. Now, there's there's something you referred to as well, which I was th- was very struck by. It was called the negotiation penalty. This this idea that women, even when they do negotiate for themselves are seen as being too pushy, for example, compared to men, and will be negatively affected by that. I mean, how do you see technology being able to mediate that? Yeah, so the negotiation gaps are really problematic. It's exactly like you said, uh, there's a negotiation penalty where women are often perceived in the workplace as pushy and overly aggressive if they are they ask for what you know they're worth versus men are thought of as assertive and you know kind of uh, given kind of this positive boost if they are lobbying for themselves as they should be um, so it, there is that gap there's also a gap that well women don't ask you know the research shows even when they they do know that they're underpaid they are less uh on average, inclined to negotiate, more risk-averse or other-looking, not kind of thinking just kind of for their um, own personal gain. I see these tools giving women a little bit more of a boost of, you know, how to negotiate in in ways that will be effective, how to um, perhaps remove the human negotiation. I envision a bot negotiating for people Sort of on their behalf, as it were. On their behalf and 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 really learning about kind of the culture of a specific company and, and a specific uh, supervisor or executive. So, you know, there's different negotiation styles. Again, it's not just gender. There's, there's cultural differences between how people negotiate. And 
I think that, you know, with, we can understand the potential here of a smart agent really being our buddy that can say, like, this will be the best way to ask your future employer for what you need. And don't forget to do this. And this is like, you know, uh, the, the technology will also embrace like game theory and sequencing of the right, you know, like strategies. So there's so much there to um, kind of be hopeful about where if we are really empowering and, and teaching people to um, use these tools for for equality, for kind of focusing on how it can correct past wrongs rather than exacerbate them, I think that there's a lot to be optimistic about. So do you, do you also then see, I think you've touched on this a little bit before, but this whole idea of, of digital technology and, and AI perhaps more specifically, also being able to help create a, a better corporate culture then? Yeah. And, and um, again, it's something that's been so much part of my concern. And um, I've written reports to the federal administration here saying, you know, we really can't have this um, pattern of a woman complaining about being sexually harassed and just getting kind of like a, a pay, you know, with her attorney signing a non-disclosure agreement. And then the next person doesn't know about this culture. You know, nobody knows about the patterns that are happening and there's not really a consistent, sustainable change that happens. So, so that's why we've had these years of cultures that have really been problematic. So there's not been enough transparency then? Not enough transparency, but also not enough ways to allow women to be comfortable with reporting. And again, I, I mentioned this uh, term game theory, reporting in a way that they feel safe enough um, that they're not at it alone. So there's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma when women want to speak up about harassment. But actually, when everybody wants, like anybody wants to speak up about anything that's wrong, like become a whistleblower about like financial improprieties or um, environmental wrongdoings that a company is engaged with, there's a real question there of like, how do you become the David against the Goliath, you know, the one against the many without just like exposing yourself to these problems? So I, I set out to discover and I really uncovered all these startups that were really kind of fueled by this this mission at Post Me Too to help companies and organizations, uh, labor organizations and movements to have these ways to report that keep your information quite secret as an employee um, until like like one neat way to do it and and there's several you know companies that specialize it uh, in this um, you report something about your supervisor that he's a harasser for example but you're promised that your all your information is anonymized and secure within the um, application until there's another complaint. So that's kind of this idea of prisoners now, like, you know. So that you're not the first one to step forwards. You're not the first one. You're not the only one. And it's only like looking for the patterns. Another uh, promising thing, and, and, and I actually recognize that this is a dilemma that we have to um, think about collectively as, uh, as, you know, societies, because there's a tension here between privacy and, you know, kind of our strive for, for better work cultures. But because AI is becoming so strong, so powerful, so predictive in understanding personalities and kind of knowing in advance when someone might become a 
a harasser or a situation might become bad before it, in fact, is unlawful. There's, again, already technologies that can flag a person that very soon will reach that tipping point of becoming a harasser and flagging that. So again, I think the technology allows us to balance those those uh, dilemmas and say, well, you know, we can flag something that's indecent communication or kind of inappropriate communication, but just saying like, you know, like very softly, you know, it's kind of these kind of soft nudges of like, well, you know, this is this is inappropriate. And so thinking about preventative, like not even, you know, reaching that point where a culture becomes so rotten that, you know, it's a big like expose. And I think it's, it's a good thing for corporations too. So a lot of what I've been thinking about is how from the perspective of gender equality, you know, I think the research is so strong. This is so much of, of my research, but, you know, so many around the world and the ILO shows this too, like gender equality is not just like a moral mandate that we have, but it's it's something that is also good for business. It's also good for, you know, corporations. Uh, we, you know, diversity fuels investment and productivity and, and innovation. And, you know, it's something that it's a win-win. So I think that it really companies should embrace this kind of more um, forward-looking transparency, accountability, um, that that comes with these kinds of tools. I have one more example for you, but um, no, go 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 ahead. Yeah, well, just on terms of diversity and and hiring, you know, that's again, it's been this um, real challenge. And one of the things that I got really excited when I researched these new companies that are supporting human capital, like diversity hiring for for companies for Fortune 500 companies and and beyond, is that. You know, we have so many unconscious biases and and we don't know like what affects our decision. Like if I'm a woman who's looking for a new job and I'm looking on like online on all kinds of ads for applications, I don't know exactly what makes me excited about something. But AI is actually teaching us things that we didn't even think and shouldn't really matter, like the formatting. It turns out that like even bullet points rather than kind of more prose, like, you know, a full paragraph has differences in how many women will actually apply for this job or not. Wow. Using military kind of terms or sports references, uh, like we want you like coding ninjas or we want warriors, whatever. That is a turnoff for women. And, And I wouldn't know that when I'm looking for a job, but, you know, the AI kind of discovered it. So, if, if uh, companies are serious about getting the best applicant pool, the richest applicant pool, they need to actually use technology to show, to illuminate, you know, what is happening. Now, isn't there in a way a kind of risk, if I can put it that way, that if we sort of outsource fixing gender equality to machines and to technology and assume that therefore we don't need to change ourselves? I'm thinking, don't we have a responsibility to also do better? Absolutely. And and I never want to uh, be read at saying, you know, this is replacing human decision making and human um, responsibility. Um, what I really want us to, this is why it's so important for me, for, for all of us to have these informed and kind of visionary thinking, forward thinking that um, contributes to the way that we're designing technology. I want us to to take 
responsibility for the technology that is there and think about it as something that supplements, that complements, that that is a tool. I mean, this is the whole story of human progress, right? Like, so gender equality was actually very much aided by the inventions of laundry and um, vacuum cleaners. And, you know, um, if you told me 20 years ago that uh, I would send my, I have three girls, three daughters, um, if I would allow them to go into a, a car with a stranger, like an Uber, uh, you know, a, a taxi when they're teenagers, I would be very, very nervous about that. But now that we have much more of this tracking uh, ability to monitor, we really should think about it as a as a strength to uh, particularly to to the vulnerable. And one of the things that's really important to me in in having this conversation is that we have I mentioned these fallacies that I was resisting when I set out um, to talk about equality machines rather than algorithmic bias, you know, which we hear about all the time. There is some of that and, and, you know, privacy is important, but there's also a lot of ways in which privacy has throughout history served as like a pretext of concealing things that more powerful parties do. And I think that shedding light and tracking and monitoring um, can do a lot of good when we're trying to equalize and, and correct historic wrongs. One last thing I, I'm really quite curious to bring up with you. You touched on it before. You talk about how gender equality makes good business sense and, and bringing women and, and other marginalized groups into technology results in more creative solutions to the problems of the world and the problems that women face. Uh, but at the same time, their lack of inclusion comes with a massive cost as well. Uh, according to the UN, women's exclusion from the digital world has shaved about $1 trillion from the GDP of low and middle income countries in the last decade alone. And that's supposed to grow to about $1.5 trillion by 2025 without any kind of action. So I'm curious, how do you see or what are ways in which more women and girls can be brought into technology and to using technology in that kind of more positive way? I love that you you gave us all these statistics. They're so powerful. Um, and, and I think that, you know, perhaps the, the single most important thing that we can do for so many of our wicked problems around the world with climate and poverty of alleviation will be aided by really tackling the gender gaps in education, in uh, financial stability and security, digital literacy and digital inclusion. So girls and women around the world, especially in the developing world, once they have autonomous access, they have more independence to um, connectivity, they have access to information, to knowledge, to education, but also to financial opportunities. They can start small businesses. They can talk to each other. That's empowering. They can organize. But I think in the public conversations, again, because we're so focused on like the harms of being online and, you know, we worry about girls being online on Instagram and it's not that we shouldn't worry about it. You know, I mentioned I have three girls. I, I worry about everything, but I think that it's at least an important um, goal to connect for, for women and girls um, and not just kind of educate them about like staying off the social networks, which is, you know, it's, it's important, but but if we're really thinking systemically about poverty and, and um, gender gaps, this is uh, an important aspect. 
Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Uh, that's all we have time for today, but I know that we could have kept this conversation going for much longer as there's so much to cover. It was my pleasure as well. <laughs> for our listeners, that was Dr. Orly Lobel, author of the book, The Equality Machine, Harnessing Digital Technology for a Brighter, More Inclusive Future. Now, if you'd like to know more about the ILO's work on gender equality or about Dr. Lobel, as well as checking out other episodes of this podcast, I invite you to visit our website at voices.ilo.org for many more inspiring stories about the world of work. But for now, that's goodbye from Geneva, and I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Future of Work podcast. Mm -hmm.